Have you ever thought of quitting? <clears throat> Maybe quitting, quitting a job that has become unbearable. Some people think about quitting a marriage. Uh, some people get in situations where they, they even think of quitting life. Uh, it just seems like you can't, uh, can't uh, summon the strength to go on. Have you ever thought of giving up on your faith? Just quitting as a person of faith, maybe because of unanswered uh, questions or the example of, of bad leaders, people in positions of authority who don't, don't behave well. Uh, maybe the way certain people apply the Bible in ways that are, that are harmful and hurtful. Maybe questions about science uh, all kind of come together and make you want to just toss in the, the towel and, and walk away. There's actually a term for that in the Bible, and it's called losing heart. Definition for losing heart is being tempted to just quit because of the evil and rotten things that are with us. Losing heart is a, is a compound word in the Greek, and it takes the word with and evil or rotten, and it, it, it mashes them together. So the idea is you're just surrounded by stuff that is bad. You're surrounded by stuff that is hard, and you just aren't sure that you want to keep going. Tucked into Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth is a whole chapter encouraging people not to lose heart, not to give up. Corinth uh, was a tough city. The Romans destroyed it in 146 B.C., they rebuilt it in 46 B.C. and populated it with freed uh, slaves. It was, a, it was a tough town. It was a port city with sailors coming and going. And what defined the city was prostitution. Hovering over the city on a mountain was a temple to Aphrodite. And there were a thousand temple prostitutes serving the temple. And there was just all kinds of, of decadence and, and evil associated with idol worship, and that defined the city. So much so that to, 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 Corinthianize, to Corinthianize someone was a euphemism uh, for uh, sexual immorality. Prostitutes were called Corinth girls. It was just the identity, it's the identity of the city. Um, racial tensions defined the city between Romans and Greeks. There were religious tensions between Jews and Christians. And there were even tensions in the church. This was a troubled, messed up church. There were people in the church actively trying to undermine Paul and spreading rumors and, and, and opposing him. And, and uh, Paul looked around and he saw people um, who were in danger of losing heart, of just seeing all that was taking place and just saying, I give up. I can't handle anymore can't handle any more of the trials. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there right now, um, but at a point where you're just not sure you can keep going on because of the troubles and the evil and, and just the rottenness of life that sometimes overwhelms us. Here's the big idea for today's message, and I, I did you a favor on your sermon outline. I filled in all the blanks for you. Because I knew it might be hard to, to write out here. Um, so the big idea for today's message is God doesn't want us to give up. He doesn't want us to lose heart. doesn't want us to be overwhelmed. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is uh, parts of, or part of my 
uh, favorite passages in Scripture. But it, it begins and ends by talking about not losing heart. The very first verse in, in the chapter says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, don't lose heart. Then it gets to the end of the chapter and it says, Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So starts and ends with this idea of don't, don't give up. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't quit. And then tucked, in, tucked into the passage are reasons for why we shouldn't quit and, so, and some suggestions for what to do when we're going through times like this. So here's, here's the first reason. And, and the whole passage is tied together by a series of therefores. There are three therefores. There's one at the very beginning of chapter 4. And what that means is all this good stuff that I'm going to talk about in chapter 4 has something to do with what just happened in chapter 3. So we're going to jump back to chapter 3 for a little bit to find out what that is. But here's how the, here's how the passage starts. Um, <clears throat> Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. So here's the first reason for not losing heart and giving up. God has called us to a way cool ministry. I don't know if I can say, is that, is that can I say that? Is way cool? Ah, no, one, no one's sure. All the young people are looking at me like, you, you blew it. Um, but God has called us to an amazing ministry. And understanding what God has asked us to do is, is a part of what is to keep us from losing heart. Um, I think of that passage where Jesus talks about his burden being, being light and, his, and he came to give us rest. And, and if we are exhausted and, and just driven into the ground by all the stuff we are attempting to accomplish, there's a pretty good chance we are attempting to accomplish stuff that God hasn't asked us to do. Uh, we, we're, we're taking things on ourselves. But he's called us to a really cool ministry. And there, you have to go back to chapter 3 to find two things about what, what makes this ministry so great that it can keep us from losing heart. Here's the first thing. What is the first thing about this ministry that should keep us from losing heart? It's that we got a better deal. Yeah, we got a, we got a, a much better deal. And I, I think, I can't help but think of that hotel commercial, uh, tri- I, forget one, one, I forget which one it is. But there are two guys checking out at a hotel. And they're dressed just alike. Their families kind of look alike. They have similar hats on. Uh, and, and one of them is really excited because the rooms are $200, but he got it for $150. And he's thinking, I made it. This is good. I got a great deal. But then the other guy checks out who had the same room, and he gets it for $129. And then he's not so happy about the, the deal that he got. Um, but all of us like to get a, a good deal. And in chapter 3, uh, Paul tells the people in Corinth, don't lose heart because in Christ you got a better deal. And he goes back to an Old Testament story. To understand what he's saying, <coughs> we have to slip back and think about the Old Testament a little bit. But there's a story in Exodus 34, and it's a story of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. So Moses is basically receiving the old deal. Uh, The Old Testament means the old contract, or the old deal. The New Testament is the new contract, the the new deal. Um, So the old deal was all about the law. And he's referring to the story where Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and he encounters God. 
doesn't really see him clearly, but there's a, there's a cloud. And he, he encounters God in, in the cloud. He hears God's voice. He, he experiences a little bit of God's glory. And he, when, he, when he comes down from the mountain, his face is radiant from this encounter that he had with God. And he has to actually put a veil over his face so that the people can't see the radiance of God that's being reflected. And, and the imagery that's there, what God is trying to say in that passage is that in the old deal, in the Old Testament, God was always veiled. They, they, they couldn't really see him clearly. Uh, they saw him from a distance. And his, their encounters with him, he kind of came and went at different times. And that was the, the old deal. Um, let me read this passage in 1 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18. As you listen to Paul compare the old deal to the new deal. <coughs> Now, if we have the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, and it came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more uh, glorious is this new ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now, in comparison with the surpassing glory of the New Deal. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory uh, of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, uh, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The old deal was engraved on stone. The new deal is God's law is written on our hearts. The old deal, we are condemned by the law. In the new deal, righteousness is given to us. In the old deal, everything is transitory and temporary. In the new deal, we're part of something that's going to last forever. In the old deal, the glory that we receive fades away and in the New Deal, it says the glory will get brighter and brighter for all eternity. That's the second thing that's so great about this ministry. One is we got a better deal. The next thing that's great about this ministry, so great that it can help us not lose heart, is that, that our job is to reflect the glory of Jesus. That, that's your job. Um, you, your job isn't, uh, you, maybe, you, maybe you work in the nursery and there's not a whole lot, doesn't feel like there's a lot of glory in that. Uh, you're not a nursery worker. You are someone who is reflecting Jesus to a set of young children. Um, it's, it's interesting all of the things that, that some religions ask people to do in order to kind of earn or, or achieve God's pleasure. And it can be really cumbersome. It's a lot of stuff. And some of it is hard and difficult to do, 
But what we're asked to do is just reflect Jesus. That's what our, our job is. Then in the, middle, um, in the middle of chapter 4, we get to another reason not to quit. So the first reason is we've got this really great ministry that's better than the old deal, and all we're supposed to do is go around reflecting Jesus on people. Uh, here's the next reason not to give up. God has our back. As we journey through an evil, rotten world, doing the best that we can to reflect the little Jesus on the people around us, God places limits on how the world can hurt us. So, you know, I, I, I'd be lying to you if I said, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you're never going to get hurt. You're never going to go through really, I and mean, you guys know this, you all know this. Um, you know this from your own experience. But there are limits to how God will allow the world to, to hurt us. It's not random. It's not out of control. God is still there, and he's placing limits on the way we can uh, be hurt. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 12. I'll read the verse 7 first. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not us. So we have this treasure. The treasure is the ability to reflect the glory of Jesus and you, you would think that that would be stored in something uh, pretty special, right? Corinth was known for its bronze jars. That was one of the products that was produced in Corinth, and they were kind of known for it. So you would think that Paul, if he had, if he had the glory of Jesus, maybe he'd put it in a nice bronze jar. Um, and, and when they excavated Corinth, they found some of those. But what they've also found are piles and piles of broken clay pots. Broken clay pots were used for everyday kind, kinds of functions. They, they, were, they were cheap, they were fragile, they broke easily. And, and what Paul's saying is, uh, we are easily broken people. We are, we are people composed of all kinds of weaknesses and all, all sorts of struggles, uh, character flaws, uh, all kinds of things. And God actually put the, the glory of Jesus into all of us broken pots. And whenever there's a crack in the pot, a little bit of Jesus uh, shines out. But it's an indication of um, the fact that we're just common. We're not, you know, you look around, we're not, we're not fancy people. We're not all highly educated people. Um, we're not all rich people. We're just, you know, a common group of people. And God has put his glory in us, and he knows that we can be broken, so he protects us. And then what he does in the rest of this passage <coughs> is he provides uh, four contrasts or comparisons that show us uh, what God allows to happen and what he doesn't allow to happen. Let me read the, I'm going to read the whole passage together, and then I'm going to um, uh, back up. <coughs> we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are sometimes persecuted, but we're not abandoned. Sometimes we get struck down, but we don't get destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is is at work in you. 
we're hard pressed on every side but not crushed. There, there are times that we will really feel the pressure of this world. We'll feel the, the, the pressure of, of evil, uh, the pressure of sin, just the pressure of stuff that is broken in, in, in life. Uh, life being frustrating and hard and sometimes are, are harder than others. And I think of, uh, you know, I, I, when I think of a passage like this, I think of, you know, families like the Shaws or the Mulkies who've just been through this. But there are lots of families in our church, many of you are here today, uh, who have been through things like this, either in the last year or at other times, and you have felt that pressure. But God won't allow the pressure to crush us. It's interesting... Um, it's interesting watching families go through crises that are so severe, you think there's no way they could ever survive that. And, and I'm amazed at the resilience of families going through really tough times and the way God gives them just enough strength to get through. Uh, maybe not much more than that, but enough to get through. Then it says, we are perplexed but not in despair. Uh, perplexed means... Uh, uh, it's a, another compound word, not and resource. It, it means to be at a loss. You don't even re- you feel like you don't have you don't have a resource, or you are in doubt. The other word is despair, and despair is an interesting word. Uh, despair is basically the word perplexed, with what I would call a, a turbocharger attached to it. There, there's a little uh, syllable called ek, and you take a word and you attach ek to it, and it intensifies the word. So if, you're, if I were to say so-and-so is sad, it means they're sad. If I say they are ex-sad, it would mean they're really, really sad. So it means we, there are times where we can feel as though we are at a loss. We can, our hearts can be filled with doubt, but we are never without resources. We are never completely and utterly without resources. We are persecuted but not abandoned. Uh, persecuted means we are put to flight. Abandoned means we are left behind. Yeah, th- things may happen that, that put us to flight. Uh, we, we feel like we're running for our lives from a diagnosis or, or a problem or a challenge, uh, but we'll never be left behind. That's a reminder of, of the middle of Psalm 23, isn't it? When it talks about, when I, when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. God doesn't abandon us in our hard times. Then it says, we are struck down, uh, but never never destroyed. I'm going to turn to this passage because when I asked Micah to read the scripture, I gave away the last page of my sermon. So I'm going to flip over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, or excuse me, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is one, the passage closes with one of my very favorite uh, couple of verses. So we've, we've talked about um, uh, some reasons not to lose heart. The chapter closes with actually telling us something to do. If you, if you don't want to lose heart, uh, and here are some reasons. You've got this great job of reflecting the glory of Jesus, and I've got your back. There are things that I'm not, I will not let happen to you as you're going through these difficult times. What are you supposed to do? And Paul gets to that at the end of the chapter. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is uh, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So what is it worth to do when we go through times like this? One thing we need to do from this verse is we, we need to remember that God will renew us inwardly. I, I can think of times where I've experienced that. Maybe it's a battle with depression or something like that. And just when I think I, I can't go any further, uh, God just renews us from the inside out. We remember that our trials are temporary. Remember last week we talked about this. In the passage from 1 Peter, Paul said, or Peter said, uh, hey, hey, uh, remember, trials are seasonal. It's like winter. It comes for a while, and it, it may seem like it's never going to go away, but eventually it, it will. Eventually the trial will pass, and, and better days will come. It's amazing what people are able to get through. You think of some of the, the horrible, horrible things that, that people have endured and they, and they get through and, and the hurt of it passes. We remember that the, the trials that happen to us are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You earn glory when you go through a trial and you reflect a little Jesus to the, the people around you and that earns you glory that you will enjoy for all eternity. This passage says we're going we're to look more and more like Jesus and we're going to reflect more and more of his glory through all eternity. And then it closes by saying that we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal so easy to get caught up in the things that we can see, things that are right in front of us. But that there are unseen things happening that God is orchestrating in our lives. Maybe he's preparing us for something to come further down the road. Uh, maybe he's teaching someone else a lesson in, in watching us get through something that will benefit someone else. But there are unseen things happening in the world around us, things that we may not be aware of, that will bless us on and on and on and on. Think of that. For all of eternity, millions of years from now, the fact that you have gotten through some hard time uh, without losing heart, the fact that in, in the midst of your hardships, you did your best to reflect a little bit of Jesus, uh, millions of years from now, that will matter and that will have value. Let me close in a word of prayer, and then Micah will sing a song, and we will come to the uh, uh, really the most important part of our service, and that's when we come to the Lord's table together. And um, uh, after Micah has read the song, where, where are the communion supply, the elements for communion? Um, Lori, can you walk those around? If anyone, if anyone didn't get um, a cup for communion, make, make sure the folks in the cars have them, have them too because I want everyone to be able to participate. Let me, let me pray. Father, lift up people who are hurting right now. 
Lord, I suspect that there are people here today uh, facing trials that, that I'm totally unaware of. Maybe trials that they haven't told a single soul about. Uh, and I lift them up to you. And I pray that you would sustain them. I pray that you would keep the trial from crushing them. Lord, don't let it destroy them. Don't let it leave them in despair. Father, I pray for uh, Larry and Shar and their family right now. And um, Lord, as they walk this difficult path with a, with a hard uh, diagnosis, I pray that you would uplift them and bless them. Lord, I thank you for Shar. Thank you for the beautiful example of peace that she is in the, in the midst of a horrible trial. Uh, thank you for the way that the love of Jesus just shines on her face. Um, thank you for Larry uh, and the way that he is providing such good care for Shar. And Lord, Lord, be with them, sustain them, uh, get them through this hard time. Father, I pray for us as a, as a church, and I pray that uh, even as a church, as we go through tough things together, I pray that you would make us stronger. Um, I pray that this would be a place, Lord, where we support one another, love each other well when hard times come. Father, we thank you for the Lord's table, and Lord, just a chance to, to come, and in a very physical way, realize that you are present with us. Um, to think not only of your sacrifice, but to think of your presence and to think of the, the hope that we have in the kingdom of heaven. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.